as we finished the class last week, David had come to the battle. He was right in the middle of the battle with this giant, Goliath. And as we looked at the map, the Israelites are over here in the Valley of Elah, which is between Bethlehem, over near the Dead Sea area, and, and Gath, which is in the Philistine territory. Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem. That's about 20 miles from Bethlehem to Gath. David lives in Bethlehem. Goliath the giant is from Gath. So they're meeting in the Valley of Elah, which is sort of between the two, more toward the side of the Philistine territory. I had discussed one of my theories about how David killed a lion and a bear. Now, there are many theories about how this happened, and it ends up with the scriptures being fairly cryptic. We have to come up with what I would say the best fit. We have to come up with what is the best fit. We have a story of Samson killing a lion with his bare hands. Clearly a supernatural event. Then we have Daniel in the lion's den. God closes the mouth, sends an angel to close the mouth of the lions. And then we have David who tells King Saul, I've killed a lion and a bear. He turned on me. I struck him and killed him. And he saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And I described to you what I thought had happened. And that is that David actually killed a lion and a bear using his sling and his stone. Now, when we talk about how things happen, even when we talk about how David is going to kill Goliath, the fact that things happen in a natural method with God's help versus a miracle, we have to, in our minds, be okay with either one. The, the parting of the Red Sea, clearly a miracle. It went, goes against nature, against gravity. And many of these things happened in the scriptures. The winning of a battle, we don't always, we would call it a miracle, even if your sports team wins, sometimes we'll say that's a miracle. But it happened through natural means, and so we need to separate those a bit in our minds, but be open to the fact that God is directing everything. And part of what I want to communicate today is looking at if David actually killed the lion and a bear using his sling, this lion, lions are lightning fast, is charging at him very quickly. To the timing involved and trying to get your stone and your sling between the lion's paws so that you can break his jaw so he can't open his mouth, I would call that God-inspired, if not miraculous. Now, it happened through normal means. You could say just a lucky shot. 
But the momentum of that lion, and especially the momentum of a bear, means that even after you hit him with a stone, probably his paws are going to be on either side of you. Which would make sense why God said, why David said, the Lord saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. They were right there next to him. And that sling was just longer than his arm enough to close the mouth of the lion. And that blow, the temporal bones, I know we have a dentist in the audience, the temporal bones, the jawbone connects to the base of the skull. It gives you such a jar in the head, it actually stuns you or shocks you, which would give David time either to hit him on the head with his stone and his sling, or if he had a knife and he's a shepherd, he likely did, he could potentially kill the lion or the bear with a knife, which is a difficult thing to do if that animal is not immobilized. So we're looking at something that we are going to say is God directed or ordained. But somebody might say, you know, that was just a coincidence. Just as with a lucky shot with the stone killing the giant. And the first pause I want to take today is for you to think about how you categorize events in your own life. You pray about something. You really want it to happen. And sure enough, it happens. But after it happens, there's a tendency to think, was that just coincidence? Was that just a, a lucky, as the, our vernacular would say? I remember being in surgery, and I was in Africa, and things were not going well with my case. And I was getting more and more frustrated, more and more angry. And I was in Africa, so I would assume God was supposed to be helping me. I'm doing mission work in Africa, and that qualifies as the kind of person that you would imagine God would help. And I was getting angry because it didn't appear that God was helping me. I couldn't get the things to work in the operating room. The lady was on the verge of death. And I said to the people, we need to pray. Now, it's hard to pray. It's hard to stop and pray when you're frustrated, when you're fearful. And why is that? Well, you don't want to talk to somebody you're angry with. If you're irritated that God, you believe God is supposed to be helping you, it's very difficult to stop and pause and pray. You just want to do it yourself. It's like a child having a tantrum. You just want to, I'll just do it. So to stop and to pray takes a bit of humility, which is hard to find when you are irritated, when you believe that God should be helping you, that he has this, you have this unspoken agreement that since you're doing good things for these people, God should be helping you, even without you asking. 
In other words, it's not relational. You should be just bestowed with the ability to get done what you want done as long as you consider it something good. So we stopped and we prayed. We couldn't get the, the, we didn't have the tools to get the bone off the head. And after we prayed, the assistant I was working with started looking around because all the tools had broken that we had. We didn't have uh, the tools and the bone is very thick if you ever try to drill through the bone. So he ended up finding some, some things in the, in the sterile toolbox and we were able to put them together and actually use this. It took us another 30 minutes, but we were able to saw through the bone and get this bone off. We were able to, to help this woman. <clears throat> and there was a moment there when the bone came off and I was so excited about continuing with the surgery and something in my mind, and I will call this the spirit of God. So why don't you stop and give thanks? You asked for something and you received it. And in my mind, lightning fast, and well, yeah, but those tools were in the box. Maybe it wasn't such a big deal as I thought it was an hour. It's funny how that works. How your mind starts playing tricks on you, like, well, I'm busy now. We're, you know, we got to finish this operation. We, and it takes, I think it takes humility. I think it takes purpose. It takes intentionality that I said, no, let's stop. We prayed for something and God answered. So I stopped and I thanked him. God, thank you. We prayed. We couldn't get the bone off an hour ago and you helped us to do this. We want to stop and thank you. That's what I'm talking about here. When we talk about things in the Bible, we have the miraculous and then we have the God helping you to do what he wants you to do. It's easy to call it a coincidence. And it's up to you to decide whether or not it was a coincidence. If you decide that it was a coincidence and that God probably wasn't involved, it is not going to help your relationship with God. It's not going to strengthen it. If you want a stronger relationship with God, if you pray about something and it happens, it's a good idea to stop and to give thanks for that. Most of us go right on to the next thing that we need from him. We just said, oh, well, that was good. Well, let me ask for something else. What we're trying to do in this class is trying to build relationship. We're trying to build what's called in parent-child terminology, attachment, that you can count on God that he has your back. For most of us, driven by our fears and anxieties, just from our physiology, we would assume God really doesn't have our back. That's how we act. It's untrue. He's proven it time after time that it's untrue. But nonetheless, that is how we respond to life. Through not only education, through educating ourselves, reading the scriptures, talking about these stories, but we have to go beyond 
knowing more. We have to make it part of our experience. And to make it part of your experience, you ask God for something, and then you talk to him about it, and then you thank him when it comes. Or if it didn't work out the way you wanted, you talk to him more about it. Why, why was that? What are you... Uh, what are you trying to show me? Is there a message in this for me? Because we always want to be communicating, treating God like a good father. One of the problems is many of us didn't have a good father. And so we, we struggle a bit with someone who wants to be with us, who wants to show us compassion, who wants to comfort us. I want to pause right now and I want you to think about, I'm going to give you about a minute, and I want you to think about where you saw God this week in your life. It can be something you prayed for that was answered, it can be in a sunset, it can be in a relationship. I want you to think about where you saw God present. And I want you to spend some time thanking him for that. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds or a minute to think about your God sightings this week, where you saw God. And I want us to be working on this to cultivate this in our lives uh, in this class. We're getting used to seeing God regularly. Oh, that was him. If you're not sure it was, you can have a little discussion with him. But I would give him the benefit of the doubt. It in, it's interesting to me, most of us maybe haven't thought about David killing a lion and a bear, that was that something that his father would have wanted him to do? Was that a wise thing to do? Would dad have said, um, yeah, if, if a lion takes the sheep, I want you to go after it no matter what and get the sheep back? Probably not. Most fathers would probably say, son, look, if he takes a sheep, uh, don't, don't put your life in jeopardy. Which brings me to a very interesting verse in John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus, one of the names of Jesus is the son of... God, Joseph, David, the Messiah is the son of David. So we are connecting this. He's all of those things. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's a, the, in the scripture, it does say he is the supposed son of Joseph. And it also says that he was this, the son of David is one of his titles. And I found that very interesting. I had never connected those two things. Here's David laying down his life, basically putting his life in jeopardy on more than one occasion. And Jesus says, I, I will do the same. I will do the same. I want to go now to Numbers chapter 13. And in verse 25. We're talking about giants. Israel had faced giants before. 
And when we talk about your life and the things in your life, you are going to need to know if there's anything in Scripture that applies to your situation, which I'm hoping is why you're here listening to me. You are interested in finding things in the Scripture, not just because it's entertaining, but it's going to eventually apply to your situation. You're going to be able to use it in the future. It's going to help build your faith, build your trust, and make you the man or the woman that God destined you to be, designed you to be. And the only way to do that is to know the scriptures well enough to know what applies to you so that you can use it. The whole army of Israel was dismayed, was fearful, was shaking. No one would do anything because there was a giant. But no one was asking the question, has Israel faced giants before? The answer is yes. So let's go and uh, improve our memories as if we were there in the army of Israel so that we can take a look at the giants in our lives. I'm in verse 25 of Numbers 13. I'm reading from the ESV. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness. Verse 27, they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They were carrying uh, a cluster of grapes between two poles. This was this gigantic um, cluster of grapes. However, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Descendants of Anak were the giants. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report. I want you to remember that. They brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land, though which we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. Do you notice how there was just an exaggeration? They saw the descendants of Anak there, and now all the people are of great height. There were just a few. This is called emotional contagion. Contagious emotions, and fear does this. Fear panic spreads but so does joy and confidence. Ten of the spies had this fear, absolute fear, and it spreads through the people. But they're also embellishing. And now here we go. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. They are trying to think, imagine how these giants saw them, and they say, 
we know they saw just like grasshoppers. It's interesting that they saw the Nephilim and this, it's sort of a legendary. It's like we saw the Loch Ness monster. We saw, we saw the Sasquatch. We saw Bigfoot there. This is the Nephilim. There was no DNA testing they were doing. They don't know who, they just saw some very tall people and said, there they are. There's no way we can, there's no way we can win. Well, that is a problem. Starting in chapter 14 of Numbers, that all the congregation raised up a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that we have died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. You see how it's getting worse and worse and worse. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and they say, look, the land, verse, um, verse 7 of 14, the land which we pass through, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. The land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. See how Joshua and Caleb saw the people of the land? Basically, we're going to feed on them. We're not grasshoppers. All this is happening in the mind. How do you see things? How do you see what's in front of you? And we're learning a very important lesson here. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They're speaking truth, pure truth to the people. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They have to get the truth speakers to stop because it's making them feel guilty. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So the glory of the Lord then shows up. Well, most of you know the story. God is upset with the people. He wants to make a nation out of Moses. Moses says, no, these are your people. What will the Egyptians say? So God agrees. Okay, I will not punish the people, but then he says, but the people will not go in. The ones that said uh, that they were going to die in the wilderness, that they're going to be a prey, they will die in the wilderness. Uh, they're not going to go in. Joshua and Caleb, the only ones who had a good report, they can go in. The next morning, the people wake up and they said they mourned all that night. They woke up the next morning and what do they want to do this morning? They want to go in. They said they got their swords on. They said, let's go in and attack this land. It's ours. Moses said, don't go in. God said, it's not. You missed the window. It's not a good idea. They said, oh, yeah, I think it's a good idea. They all went and they were defeated. And I'd love to ask myself the question, what was the difference between that morning they got up ready to go and 24 hours earlier, same people in the land, 
I just wanted you to pause and think about that. What, what happened to convince them now they're ready to go in? There was a bit of a punishment. They were going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. So the, 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 the consequences probably had something to do with it. They also saw the glory of the Lord. A number of times as we walk through life and as the children of Israel walked through, they had a comment. They said, we want to see if the Lord is with us or not. They were used to living as slaves. They were used to living as orphans. And God said, I am your father. I'm carrying you like a father carries his son, uh, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. This is, this is the kind of language that God is using. When the Israelites don't want to go in, they have forgotten that God is with them. They've forgotten God's with them. They, they can't see God. As soon as they see some evidence, suddenly they have their confidence. I want to pause right now and I want you to think, and maybe even, uh, let's just do some, some soul searching now. This is a very important question. It was very destructive to the children of Israel, and we love to point the finger at them. We act like orphans many, many times. All this fear, things that keep us from sleeping, things that, that we worry about and then they actually work out just fine. We act like these children of Israel. We act like orphans. And I want to identify it in ourselves. And that's the other reason why we did the first exercise. Where have you seen God this week? Because if we see him, it changes the way we behave. But most of us are waiting to see him right in the sky or waiting to see something happen that we are so convinced that, oh, okay, well, now, now I'm convinced I can handle the battle. I wonder if we can get into the habit of seeing God regularly in our lives so that we will start having confidence that he's with us, and we're not going to miss these windows of opportunity that he has actually set up for us. So one minute thinking about that, you're thinking about um, times in your life, how you can apply this scripture to your life. Is he with you, the evidence that he's with you, and the giants that you're facing at this point? Because they actually did come into the land if we fast forward, they did defeat the giants in the land. They find out when they get to Jericho that the people of Jericho were afraid of them. They were, they've been waiting 40 years shivering because they were afraid of the children of Israel. It was not going to be a problem. It's only a problem in our minds. And, and the more we fill our minds with these stories and we remind ourselves what God has done for us recently. Now, he parted the Red Sea for them. But that was a while ago. But we need to regularly remember the Red Seas that he's parted for you and the times when you were sick, when you got better, the times when you had some financial issues and they resolved 
these are the things we need to focus on when we're in a crisis, when we're facing a giant, we have to go back and look at those stones of remembrance they're called in the scripture, stones of remembrance. So let's, let's take a minute now and just, just silence with yourselves and then we're going to discuss it. It's very interesting that, that what they delivered was a bad report. If, we're, if we look at that, what they told, you could say, I'm just being honest. They really just told what they saw. If telling what you see, and maybe exaggerating a little bit, is a bad, is considered a bad report, which is enough to keep you out of your promised land, is it possible that maybe what the doctor said, um, what the news is saying, just being honest, I mean, I'm just being honest, that's what they said. But if giving a bad report, that is that what God is saying about your life, about your circumstances? We have to be very careful just being honest. The spies would have said, we're just being honest. We saw giants there. They did. God called it a bad report. I want you to discuss now with yourselves, is it possible something in your life, you are dwelling on a bad report someone has given you that's honest, but it lacks faith. It's full of fear. And that fear now is driving you. So let's look carefully at what the mistakes that people made in the scriptures, what it cost them, because the reason we're here is we don't want to make those mistakes ourselves. Is there a bad report perhaps you've been believing that you need to start saying, well, what does God say about this? What is a good report? What is, what is his view on this? He had a very clear view on them taking the promised land. They came back and said, oh, no, oh, no, no, there are giants there. Is it possible your view of circumstances and God's view of your circumstances are not the same? And we want, as children of God, to get God's view on every situation in our lives so that we are not under our circumstances, we are above them. So this was a time for you to talk, so softly, but let's discuss bad reports and how this can apply to your life. But the climax of the story with David in the field, Goliath has seen him. And I want to try to finish the passage. The giant Goliath is cursing David, and he gets even more angry when he sees basically a young boy running out to him. He says, am I a dog that you send me sticks? Because he sees a stick in David's hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into the forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. I'm in 1 Samuel 17, that was 48, and now I'm at 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. 
and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. There it is. We would say a miraculous shot or a God-guided shot. But it, it's interesting to me that as we read about Goliath, the first thing that we hear about Goliath is he has a helmet of bronze. And so as I read these scriptures, I'm thinking, whoa, 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 I didn't hear anything about the stone, a big noise when the stone bounced off his helmet. I look on the internet, I welcome you too, to find what helmets of bronze look like. And this, something like this was about a few hundred years later is what we find. But every helmet of bronze I found covers the forehead. So I'm thinking to myself, what was going on here? And this is the way I put it together, and I welcome you to put it together any way you'd like. Goliath had been out there for 40 days. Is Israel a cool country or a warm country? It's hot. And if you've been coming out for 40 days, you may keep your helmet on the first couple, but probably after a while, you're going to take your helmet off and give it to your armor bearer. The other the reason it's hard, it, you'd probably take it off, is because there's only a narrow gap to speak, and Goliath has been doing a lot of what? Cursing, speaking, putting people down. If you're going to try to, to speak, it's going to be hard to speak in that helmet. If you, if you want an audience, you're going to be taking your helmet off. I believe that David saw an opening. And the reason David runs, he sees Goliath starting to get angry and cursing, so Goliath is actually angry. He has some emotion. The angrier he is, what are the chances he's going to forget to put his helmet back on? Especially if you're running at him. And sure enough, it works. The reason he's moving forward and he falls on his face is because Goliath is actually moving forward. If you hit somebody with one of these rocks, by the way, they're about the size of a billiard ball, a pool cue, is what these rocks look like that David was throwing. These are not small rocks. If you, if you Google, there's a, uh, the British Museum has some of these. They found not far away in, uh, in Lakish. They look like pool balls, pool cues. This was a significant stone. Goliath is running. I don't believe Goliath thought that David had a sling at all. Because it says the sling was in his hand. Sling, you can wad it up and put it in your hand. It's not until he's close enough within range and, the, and Goliath is moving does David stop and reveal what he's got. Slings and stones were very dangerous in those days. They were very significantly used as an army weapon. If you thought someone had a sling and a stone, you would certainly put your helmet on. I don't believe that the giant saw that he had a sling and a stone. And besides, as the giant is moving... 
Is he moving quietly or is there a lot of noise when the giant moves? What's making all that noise? All of his armor, his scales, his things on his legs. He's making a lot of noise. So his army probably sees David has a sling and they're probably yelling to him. He's got a sling. Does Goliath hear it? No, because he's making so much noise himself as he's moving forward. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't suspect it at all. I believe the only way that this could work is if Goliath doesn't have his helmet on. It also doesn't say, and David removed his helmet and cut off his head, because the helmet would cover your neck as well. It was designed to, even they had something coming down the nose. Why? Because this is wartime. You want battle axes, you have stones, you have arrows. You are trying to protect yourself. And David saw that Goliath was unprotected. He saw an opening and he went for it and God blessed him. And with that, I think we will conclude the class. Lord, thank you for everyone who's come today. And we pray that the giants in our life, you are going to defeat them for us, but even more significantly through us, with us. We are going to give a good report. We are going to put your words on our lips. We are not going to allow the curses of the enemy to affect us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.